In the studio, I want to welcome our councillor, Lisa Thompson. Morning, Lisa. Morning, Aaron. Kilda, everyone. Should we just reflect on the wastewater issues for a moment? Have I talked to you since the public meeting? How did you feel that wet? There was an awful lot of representation from the council there. It must have been about 10 people. I think there was even more from council, actually, yeah. because we had water care staff. We had um, our council water staff. We also had the chair of the Water Governance Board yep. um, and another member of the Governance Board there as well. Um, we had executive team members, including Megan May and Gavin Iron, who's the chief executive mm. uh, for council. And there were also um, my fellow councillors, um, Mike Kerr, Eugene Patterson, who actually uh, facilitates and chairs our um, regular monthly Zoom hui that we have for our um, wastewater uh, treatment plant and options um, and Paniora Matatahi Potapu, who is the um, one of the Māori Ward councillors and Marlene Raumati uh, from um, uh, the Fitikahu uh, Wairanga um, Te Kaufata, um Ward Councillor. So there was a great representation and I think Aaron that um, should signal the seriousness with which um, you know council uh, and Myself and the community board took in um, convening that hui. Uh, we felt that that was necessary. And I know that um, some people felt it was short notice for that hui to take place. But I think we would have been damned if we did and damned if we didn't, if we left it too long. But as soon as we had as much information about what had happened and what we were doing to um, ensure that that wouldn't happen again... Um, you know, we thought it was timely that we needed to bring everyone together. Yeah. And the yeah. Water Governance Board Chair, um, you know, he wanted to be there to listen to what uh, the community sentiment was so he could then report back to the Water Governance Board. Um, so I felt it went really well. There were lots of great uh, questions in Kōrero, um And uh, as you know, there's um, it was videoed by um, Ray Diprose, from here in Raglan, so that's up online on the council YouTube website. And if you go on to, I think it's also linked to you, the Raglan Radio Facebook page as well, mm. and also you can go and check it out. Um, there's a link to it from the Raglan Community Board Facebook page. So I think I can speak on behalf of the board, the Raglan Community Board, and myself, um, that we were pleased um, with the hui and the way that it went. Yeah, we've... We've been overall, like, we've thought that Water Care has done a good job looking after the three waters. Even the likes of John Lawson have been complimentary in the past. This seems like a series of unfortunate events. Oh, it's, I, it was I, really but unfortunate. It, but, it, but, it, but the thing is, that's, it's, it's enough that people start saying, well, are they actually very good at the oh, job? Oh, absolutely. And I understand that. Because when, you know, the first time when it was reported by a community member and then we responded, um, it's all fixed. And then, you know, two weeks later, two and a half weeks later, it happens again. I felt sick to the pit of my stomach, to be honest. Um, and I know uh, Megan May, um, who's one of our executive managers in council, we just felt totally gutted um, that it had happened again. Um, and you know, and that came from water care staff saying, "This has happened." Um, yeah, that second time before. wasn't spotted by the community, no, was it? it so was they just fronted up. Done by um, by our water care staff. Um, so you know, there are serious lessons to be learnt. So um, you know, the outcomes of that are in the uh, video. But you know, um, there are assurances that you know the human error that took place in 
in calculating the discharges um, has been fixed um, and that work over the next coming months um, will be signed off and that will be sent to both myself and to Dennis um, to say that that's being checked thoroughly. My, my take on this is that is that it requires, it's something that requires a human being to do very exceedingly boring stuff to make sure it's done thoroughly yeah, and other I'm, people have to come in and check the boring stuff which is just equally boring and I'm kind of like that's not what they've said I talked to someone uh, a local engineer I know about the processes that they normally have and there's a lot of quality assurance processes and all stuff which is but it's important and especially I, it's I actually, really important I was talking to one of the new engineers at the council after the meeting and I said to him I said this must be the hardest place in the country like you've got a really proactive community and and the town is right in the harbour so we see everything that's going on um you know like in hamilton they wouldn't need this level of of accuracy or scrutiny yeah there wouldn't be the scrutiny they wouldn't need the accuracy and there wouldn't be the same problems caused from it from having your tourist area closed you know for a while and it's a dynamic environment you know our harbour is a dynamic environment but i guess they've got no we've got no choice but to try to meet that standard oh absolutely we and we don't we wouldn't expect anything less, you know. And I, you know, from 2016 when we had the um, pipe breakages, where we did have raw sewage going into the harbour, you know, that really instigated and motivated council to make decisions around um, doing better. Um, and then we went into the relationship with Watercare, which has been uh, really advantageous, not just for Raglan, um, and people may believe that or not, um, but across the district. Tomorrow, actually, um, I'm going into uh, up to, to Kofata to look at the um, specialised bioreactor that we've put in there, which is actually the first of its kind in New Zealand. So we're doing a site visit tomorrow from the... Uh, work that Watercare has done and I think I've mentioned previously that we did um, a tour also of the Mere Mere wastewater treatment plant which is state of the art for that small community where um, you know the wastewater that the treated wastewater that comes out of there is of a really high quality uh, and we also visited the um, uh, wastewater treatment plant the bigger one of Watercare um, in Tuaco, mm. so just north of Tuaco. So one of the one of the things that's come out of this is there's people are now seeing the stuff in the water and wondering if it's sewage or wastewater, and we're getting a lot of claims on the people putting pictures on the notice board saying things. And I know some of it's wrong. Um, I guess the first thing we people need to remember is that the outlet is not inside Raglan. It's like um, it's on the main inlet out to sea. Um, but I guess stuff could wash back in. Um, I mean, what what do you say about that? Because there's been people like, I mean, there's one person who said they put all this information on all these backpackers, Facebook groups telling 200,000 people that there's sewage in the harbour, and they're wrong. I know they're quite clearly wrong with what they're saying. Their dates that they were given were wrong. Um, I mean, what do you say to the community about this sort of thing? Well, we have been posting uh, via the Raglan Community Board Facebook page, um, you know, information about, um, for example, the YouTube clip that we took from uh, the Hui that we had a few weeks ago. Also putting up links to Lawa, which is, um, they do testing in the harbour, 
uh, and give a green light or a red light depending on the quality of water so people can check the factual information. I can't speak to whatever people are putting up on social media whether it's right or wrong um, but if people are uh, worried about water quality, contact the regional council, contact council, um, and if you can, get some samples of water if you feel if it is um, sewerage in the water, um, and also perhaps do some reading on what is sea foam, um, what does algae bloom look like, um, and you know, even I live out at the harbour mouth, so I have a view to the harbour mouth itself so I live just up from the discharge pipe and even just watching the tide coming in this morning there was sea foam coming up and Mm. it regularly comes up from the open water into the harbour as the tide's coming in and some people might actually think that that's some sort of discharge but, but that's it's normal actually, sea, sea foam is normal. Yeah, yeah, yeah so it is a dynamic environment i'm not making any excuses for what's taken place with the treated wastewater discharge on the incoming tide but it is understanding that the harbor and um, the ocean are dynamic environments and our harbor catchment is actually quite big so if we go into the far reaches of waingaro um, we go uh, you know so it's a large catchment area that receives um, many different waterways um, from around Arohe, both on the north, east and southern sides of the harbour. So um, can I just check, because I've asked the Regional Council, because there have actually been some worrying tests like outside the museum. Outside the museum. I've asked the Regional Council for some more information about that. They haven't got back to me yet. Have you heard anything? Not that? yet. I okay. actually um, I sent an email to Matt Telfer yesterday just asking if there's been an update, because I, I understand that he met with uh, the Regional Council staff um, about... Um, about a number of things, including um, the results of that anomaly that um, you know has been found, but I haven't heard anything back. But as soon as I do, um, I'll inform you. So I can't update you on where that's at. Okay. All right. Now, um, a couple of days ago, John Lawson and I were on the air talking about um, information that's coming out about the long-term plan, and included things like um, 2.2 million for the boat ramp. The the roading costs were going to go up from like. Close to 100 million to 140 million. Um, three waters cost looked like they were going up even more. They're what, staggering the, figures. Sta- yeah. yeah, like like was it doubling? I can't quite see the. Yeah, uh, the, and you had and you said in a previous interview that that there was potential for a lot of cost there. But what is this document we're looking at? Is that hard and fast costs? They're, they're the costs that have been attributed to each of the council areas, whether it's roading, whether it's the three waters. But does it mean that's what's going to be spent? That would be in the dream state. Oh, that's your dream, your dream budget. We, you know, if we, if we <laughs> consider, we have to see all of the cross across our business before we can make decisions about what we're not going to do. Yeah. So we need to have a clear picture. So when it comes to the decision-making and then our communities can see what our projected costs are because – we can't, through rates, afford all of what we've got in that document. So we're going to have to make some decisions around what we will keep and what we won't keep. So it's good to see, for the community, to see those figures so they know what we're working with. But we, in the governance space, we'll have to make decisions about what we keep and what we cut and what's affordable and what's not. Um, and I think that just about every council across New Zealand is facing 
um, those hard decisions because we all have roading, we all have three waters. Um, so it's is some of it because of cycling, Gabrielle, like the the extra cost for roading. Some of it is, but it's also bringing our roading up to a standard that's acceptable as well. Um, and we've got a significant roading network that needs work. So, you know, if we're going to do work on it, we do need to um, put more funding toward it. But we need to make those decisions in council. And then we've made those decisions. We go out to the community with, is this what you want? Yeah, okay. Um, and I guess you with that three waters issue... Um, you're going to be awaiting with bated breath what the future government coalition has That's to say exactly about right. that and issue. Because that, that could completely change the long-term plan. And it? we have to, but we still have work to do. So there will, you know, we, we know that there's work to be done within our three waters. So how do we address that? Um, and, and, and it's almost impossible to crystal ball what that will look like because we don't know what the coalition government intends um, and will they revoke all of the work that's been done over the previous years with the Labour government and the Three Waters reform so I can't comment on it. Hopefully there's somebody within there I'm sure there will be someone with the practical skills to understand what's happening at local government Whether We actually need reform of, and we need central government support to do the work that we need to do we can't do this on our ratepayers because Mm -hmm. The costs are so significant. You've seen the cost for the three waters provision. Um, and it also, not just three waters, but our roading infrastructure as well. We just can't continue um, to put it on our ratepayers. We actually need central government support. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, something else that's also been looked at in the long-term plan is the issue of a structure plan, which we've talked about. Well, we in Raglan are talking about a structure plan or some, something to plan and that's What's not included f- in this uh, three-year LTP for Raglan, but we have been talking to staff because we, we've got a draft transport strategy. I've got, I want to ask a question, though, yep. because it looks like Narawahia is – like we, we've projected to have huge population growth, and areas of the council that are not projected to have huge population growth seem to be ahead of us in the queue. Is this, is this councillor's – how does that happen? How does that get negotiated? Um, because that was in the LTP for Ngāruawa here as well, you know, for them to have that. Um, and I actually think they're a really deserving community to have a structured plan at Hopu Hopu and in Ngāruawa here itself. Um, they haven't had so much focus and they've got a lot of growth and that's not saying that we don't deserve a structured plan, but I don't want to pit one community against the other because they actually have waited a long time um, to have work done in their community. So <clears throat> I think it's important that they get that done. For Raglan, um, as I mentioned before, we were on air. Um, Chris and I met with our staff around um, a draft transport strategy for Raglan and we talked about a structure plan. Um, but the, when we were talking about it, it was more, uh, do we need a structure plan or a strategic plan to help us plan for Raglan? Um, and that's probably where that will fall. But It's not from lack of trying to get um, staff to engage in a more cohesive strategy for Raglan, given the growth. Mm. I mean, I know the north of the district, the growth is nuts up there, but we must be next after them in terms of growth. Yeah, Pocono. Potential for, yeah, I mean, that place is nuts. Yeah, it's just... Ten times growth. Yeah, and it's 
just gone bonkers. So you so you met and had a, a look at a draft transport plan. Obviously, I imagine you're not going to say everything that's in it because it's a draft plan. It's quite but, it's quite a significant plan. But is this is this about things like potentially you want to bypass round Rangatahi? You you want bridges? You you know like look, yeah. And is it looking ahead? How far ahead is it looking? It, you know a good. 20, 30 years actually okay, yeah, and there's no um, so what we've said to staff um, is that we, we need costings to what they're proposed and we need to prioritise what's on that draft plan that's important for the next three years, five years, ten years um, before it goes out to the community because if we don't have costings assigned or a plan uh, for the priorities of what's in that draft plan it might set up um, expectations that we can't actually meet um, for our community. So it's just a broad brushstroke of that, um, you know, the two-laning of the one-lane car bridge, uh, possibility of lights in the interim on the um, one-lane car bridge, um, you know, the um, uh, another road from either Hills Road or Mangatafri through to the back of Raglan um, down onto Winery Road, all of those sorts of considerations um, looking at um, Te Hutawai Road. So it's quite a broad look at Raglan um, in the next three years and into the future. But again, there's no cost to those. So um, I think for us it would be really important to get our heads so around. So there's no, there's no yeah. cost to the physical work or, or the, the work to do the plan? Uh, the the physical works. Okay, <clears throat> we wouldn't expect that for something that's looking thirty years ahead. Yeah, but, but it's important to sort of envisage what that might look like in we the had, future. We because we, we had the thing with the, the potential for a land based wastewater treatment up among a Tafari discharge. Road. Yeah, and and the yeah of the treated the, wastewater the treatments down there, the discharges up there, um, and suddenly we're like, okay, if we put a pipe getting up there, it's got to go maybe under a road, but we don't know where the roads are going to go. So there was suddenly. A lot of activity from staff to figure that out, and that's I keep mentioning that just because that's a sign of we need that some idea of where we're going. Yeah, yeah. Hey, speaking of the land-based discharge, <laughs> Lisa's phone's going off. Sorry, um, I'll turn. The, I'll yes, turn noisy the thing. Ah, uh, so there was. We had thought there might be a piece of land up there that was going to be used for for discharge. And that's still in consideration. It still is because we I wasn't sure. It is. It's still very much um, okay. uh, in consideration. So you know that that has been uh, happening behind the scenes. And like I've said before, um, if people are interested in coming onto those zooms and those discussions, we've got one on the fourteenth of December. Um, and again, you can um, register your interest if you go onto the community board Facebook page and you'll find the information. Okay, cool. Um, so I'm trying to. I'm aware that we're going to run out of time before Rachel gets in. Um, but you had a, a housing uh, meeting workshop strategy last night. Last actually, night. Yeah, yeah, tell, tell us really about good. tell us about that. So we have made a commitment in council to do um, a housing strategy for the district, um, which is great. It's been something. Um, that has been bubbling away in the background for a number of us councils, councillors, sorry. Um, and so um, we um, instructed staff to start looking at what that might look like for our district, um, which they've done. And so last night we had um, an online hui um, with our key staff um, to help inform a housing strategy for council. It was really for community boards. Um, however, um, we had a smaller number of community board members attending, um, but it was great coordinator Dennis um, 
the chair of the Raglan Community Board um, was on, so too um, were other community board chairs, which was great, and some community members um, to discuss um, what that might look like uh, for our district and for our community. So there were some um, questions that were asked. Um, what are the opportunities that are working well within the district already? And, of course, the um, idea of the papakainga, um, which has mm. um, been successful in Raglan. We've got two, uh, the one by the marae here at Puehakana and also the one out at um, uh, Wainamu. Uh, and also, of course, in the district, particularly in Ngārua here with the Turner whānau and a number of other whānau. And in urban context, the success of um, Papakainga development where um, whānau um, have either may you know built one large house for a number of Fano members um, yeah, this is like Tilly Turner the our, our Maori yeah, board councillor and there are other yeah, um, yeah I had whānau. an interesting chat with her about that when she was up for election and yeah multi-generational multi-generational housing yeah, yeah. And, and it seems really awesome the yeah, way well, she was talking about it well you know and it. here by Poi Hakana with the um, uh, Newton family papakainga you know with the uh, 22 different uh, homes that will be there in the future, including the ones that are there already. So we identified, you know, the opportunities for further development in that. We brought up about, you know, the opportunities of how do we encourage developers um, to really look at affordability um, through a lens that, you know, the average um, wage of a household three times that because at the moment mm. the affordability isn't affordable when you look at it. There's no um, such thing as affordable housing these yeah, days, is there really? And, and how do we enable that as council and what mechanisms can we use uh, through you know maybe the resource consent process and the fees, uh, enabling um, uh, you know Māori freehold land and developing that. So we had a really good discussion um, and you know uh, what role do you think council should have in delivering um, community aspirations for affordable housing? And we know that this is complex. I mean, look, we've had the Whaingaroa Raglan Affordability Project. When did we establish in 2018 or 2017? Mm. Um, and then there's the Waikato um, Regional Housing Initiative, which um, previous council Axel Beck um, as the CE for that, you know, they've been going for seven years and no one has come up with a model or houses on the ground at a community level um, that meets the needs of our diverse communities. Apart from the Papakainga. I was having an interesting conversation with one of our DJs, Steve Thackeray, is the, is the principal of Waipa Primary School in Narawahia, and he said it's, the school's going pretty well, but they get a lot of um, like transient families coming through, and it's and it's the people in trans and temporary housing that and the motels in Narawahi I know have been used for that um, and, and we so know that, that motels so aren't is that a particular focus for that town or is that in all the towns would you say you mean for Huntley or well that was Narawahi yeah um, I, I think it's probably a challenge for most of our communities across the district we've large particularly Huntley and Ngaruawahia where yeah. we have um, and Mere Mere, where we have large population of Māori. Um, but uh, Cheryl Martinga, who's on the Huntley uh, Community Board, um, she told a story last night of um, a single mother of five um, who is bringing up her children and she is paying something like $700 in rent. You know, and there's, she has very little left 
um, after that to uh, she's got anything to left. provide for her children, mm. um, you know, food, all of those sorts of things. So, no one size fits all. Each community is different. We. Uh, whereas we're on another side of the coin where we do have transient children that we see coming through Raglan Area School. Um, they've left perhaps Auckland to come back to Whānau land. Uh, they're disconnected because they don't have uh, an understanding of their place in this community mm, mm. Uh, and the challenges that that brings. Uh, and then we are also, I guess, uh, have the challenge of gentrification where we have housing that you know, is so expensive that local whānau now are being pushed out of the housing market. So they're leaving their community where they've grown up in. So there's no going, one it's, size. But it's, not it's, like all. it's not like there's houses anywhere else. No, but, you know, they're going perhaps to whānau land where they're living marginally. Mm, um, yeah, but it's, yeah. you know, not just a, a, a challenge for Māori, but it's a challenge for uh, all of our communities. So I think it's a really important important piece of work that we have this housing strategy that we're working with all of the agencies because council can only there are only certain levers levers that we can pull um uh, so it's really something that we need to work with all the agencies whether um it's msd whether it's kind order whether it's council um whether it's the uh, housing regional housing initiative so um, it's not one size fits all, but you know we mm. do have a model um, that we see that's working, and that's the Papakainga space um, within our district, certainly. And just reading what you showed me on the ha- uh, Hastings Council, um, you know, so we've yeah, they uh, just I really they, think they had this a housing strategy is something uh, very important, and we're sort of pushing it through so we can put some funds towards it through the LTP. Yeah, so just a reference, uh, I just saw an article on RNZ website yesterday about in Hastings. They've worked really hard to deal with the amount of people they've got in transitional housing they seem to be having some success but um we're gonna have a little break uh rachel goddard's in the studio now and we're gonna have i'm gonna have a little break do the weather update and all that stuff and when we come back i uh, will be talking about the council's climate response and resilience strategy there we go i wrote it down i've got the bright name <laughs> back soon <laughs> 